Now, brothers and sisters, would you take out a Bible with me? Either your own or the, the one on the pew in front of you. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And our text today is verse 13. We're camping out in one verse today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I'll give you a chance to get there. We are at war. Do you know it? We are at war. We are in the middle of a spiritual battle. If you're a Christian today, you did not have to be drafted into this war. You signed up for it. Our enemy hates us. He is formidable. He is cunning. And he is not alone. He has his own army. We are on foreign soil when we are fighting this war. But we are not left defenseless. A few weeks ago, a book released that I think is now the best book I've ever read on the fear of the Lord. It's by a guy named Michael Reeves. It's called Rejoice and Tremble. In that book, Michael Reeves says this, Into the battlefield of our troubled hearts we send the promises of God. Into the battlefield of our troubled hearts, we send the promises of God. The promises of God, brothers and sisters, are weapons in the fight for faith. The Bible tells us not only that we are at war, but we have weapons. Paul tells us the the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. But how do you wield it? Have you been trained to sword fight? Have you been trained to deal blows to your enemy with that sword? Well, one of the ways to wield it is the promises of God within it. The promises of God are weapons in the fight for faith. And so today I want you to add one of these weapons to your tool belt, so to speak, to your arsenal. This is an extremely helpful weapon, this promise of God that we are looking at today in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Again, it's one verse, but it's so packed full of of things that we need for this fight, this war that I wanted to stop and meditate and camp out on this one verse. So let's read it. Let me read out loud. You follow along with me in your text. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to to endure it. Now let's take apart this promise so that we can best wield it, so that we can get the most out of it. One thing I want you to see from this promise this morning, from God, from the Apostle Paul, is that you are not alone in your struggle against sin and temptation. You are not alone. Now, you have to notice how he starts this out. The, the words that he chooses are very important. Notice how Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. He could have said, No temptation that you've experienced is uncommon. He could have said, No temptation that has come to you is uncommon. But what he said was, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You know what that means? It means he's not just speaking to your experience in being tempted. 
He's speaking to us as failures, as those who have fallen to temptation. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. He's telling us, in your failure, you are not alone. It's common as a human being to fail in the ways that you have failed. It doesn't make it okay, but you are not alone. Satan wants you to think you are all alone. Satan is really good when it comes to sin, especially failures in the area of sin. Satan is really good in convincing us to think things like, no one else would have done that. My brothers and sisters in Christ wouldn't have done that. I did, but they wouldn't have. A true Christian would never sin just like I did. He's really good at getting us to think this. Or, if I tell anyone, they'll think I'm horrible. And so I've got to keep this a secret. I've got to hide it. I cannot come clean. I cannot step into the light. They'll think I'm horrible. It's, that's exactly where Satan wants you, brothers and sisters. It's exactly where he wants you. To think, I'm all alone. No one is like this. No one would ever do this. If I come clean, they'll think I'm horrible. And if he gets you there, if he gets you there, and if he can keep you alone and in the dark, your sin will enslave you. I know, because I've been there. It will enslave you. And you will only find freedom, or you only start, begin down the road to freedom, when you step into the light and confess it, not just to God, but to others. But you are not alone. When you finally reach out and confess that sin that perhaps you've never confessed, you will find a community of sinners helping one another hold on to Jesus. That's what we are here. This this church is a community of sinners helping one another hold on to Jesus. When you finally reach out and confess that sin, you will find others who struggle just like you do. You will not find shocked faces. You will not find scandalous gossip. You will find understanding and compassion. You will think, right before you confess that sin, that people will be scandalized, that they couldn't believe someone would do that. And instead, they'll look right at you and they'll say, of course, how can I help? Satan gets you to think that. And it's really hard to take that initial step because with everything you've got, you're thinking, this is, this is not going to go well. And you do, and you're so scared. And if that person on the other end of that confession is a Christian... They're going to look at you and they're going to say, of course, how can we help? Let's do this together. We are a bunch of sinners helping one another hold on to Jesus in here. In this war on a foreign field, picture a physical therapy ward in a field hospital after a long, bloody, hard-fought battle. We're banged up. We're tired and weary. We've got bags under our eyes. Our hair's all messed up and tangled. We've got our robes and slippers on. It's not pretty to look at. We're a ragtag bunch of folks in here. But when one falls, we're going to pick them back up. And they might have 
tears in their eyes because they have tried and tried and tried and they keep falling. And it seems like it's the one millionth time that they've fallen. They might want to give up for a moment. But we're not going to let that happen because we're in this together. And so we're going to pick them back up again and we're going to put one foot in front of the other and one of these days we might learn to walk. It's a field hospital where we're all just helping one another follow Jesus. And it's not pretty. But once you step into it, once you step into it, you realize everybody's struggling like me. We're helping one another hold on to Jesus here. So you think you're all alone. You think no one understands. And until you step in the light and confess that sin, it's going to be like that. But once you enter the therapy ward, it's, oh, everyone in here is struggling. Let's struggle together. 1 John 1.7 says this, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. That verse has always surprised me, because when I read the beginning, I think it should say, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with Him. I always, think, I always expect it to say that. If, if I walk in the light as God is in the light, I'll have fellowship with Him. That's what I would expect it to say. But what it says is, if I walk in the light as He is in the light, I have fellowship with others, with one another. Why? Because you're never going to have deep Christian fellowship in the dark. Christian fellowship is about more than just us coming together and, and saying, hello, how are you, how have you been? That's part of it. But Christian fellowship is deeper than that. It's a knowledge that we are in this together. We're helping one another hold on to Jesus. We're vulnerable with each other. We're open with each other. We, we are weak in front of one another, right? We don't make everyone think we've got it all together because we don't. And so we're weak in front of one another and vulnerable and we help one another. And that's fellowship. And you can't have that in the dark. You've got to step into the light. You've got to, as one preacher said one time, you've got to bring your sin kicking and screaming into the light. And it's hard, but when you get there, you, you, this weight is lifted off of your shoulders and you realize, what was I, what was I doing? What was I waiting for? Now, now it's time to start healing. Now it's time to start being a part of this group of people who are all wounded, who are all messed up. Don't you want to be a part of that? I do. I want to be a part of a place like that. And so you are not alone. You need to know that from this promise, right? Isn't it, isn't it awesome how spiritual warfare doesn't feel like, like physical warfare? Physical warfare is like, you know, get ready. Don't be afraid. You're about to get smacked. Spiritual warfare feels a lot different. It's beautiful sometimes. But I also want you to see from this promise that God is faithful. God is faithful, we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And that's really the crux of the verse. This verse, brothers and sisters, is about God. It's meant for you to see God. This verse is meant to make us think about God, not about ourselves. This verse is not meant to pump you up about yourself or to get you excited about your own strength. That's fool's gold. It's meant to make you stop looking at yourself and start looking at the power and goodness and glory of God. And that is the only way to really start healing. 
You're not going to heal. You're not going to overcome sin by staring at yourself. We need to get our focus off of ourselves and onto God and His power and His goodness and His glory. That's the only way to start overcoming sin. He is faithful. God is faithful. We read in Scripture that He will never leave us or forsake us. Those who are His, right? That's not a promise of all human beings. It's a promise for those who are His, for those who are His children, who have come to Him in Jesus Christ. So that that doesn't include every single person. That doesn't automatically apply to you just because you're a human. Have you come to Christ? If you have, He has promised. He will never leave us or forsake us. And because He is God, He will never and can never break any one of His promises. If God broke a promise of His, the world would explode. In fact, we can't talk about what would happen if that happened, because it will never happen. It can never happen. He's God. He's perfect. To break a promise would, would mean He was not God. That will never happen. So every promise that you find in Scripture that God makes, as long as you understand who He's making it to, He will never, ever go back on one of His promises or fail to keep it. Specifically, in our our text today, we see two ways that God is faithful. Two ways that He's faithful. He's faithful, but how? Two ways. First, Paul says, He will not let the temptation get beyond your ability. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So, what's that mean? Well, one thing it means is, you will never be able to say, it was too much. I couldn't endure any longer. I just had to give in. You can never say that. I mean, of course, you you could verbalize it, but it's not true. It was never too much, right? You could have gotten out. You could have endured. He will never let it get beyond your ability. Now, this does not mean he will never let it get beyond your ability, your unaided willpower. That's not what he means by ability. It's not your unaided willpower, your ability by yourself alone. No, this means your ability as you depend on the Holy Spirit in your weakness. And you draw on God's power within you, right? And so as you face temptation, it is not God saying, just try harder, just be stronger, right? That's not going to work. In and of yourself, you don't have the strength but God's Spirit within us. If we draw on the Holy Spirit, if in our weakness we depend on Him, that's how we do it. It's not your unaided willpower. It's God's power within you. But notice how Paul says, and every word here is important, notice how Paul says in this verse, He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That little three-letter word is huge. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This means God has power over temptation. Temptation is not outside the sovereignty and control of God. God has power over temptation. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And so that means He has the power to stop the temptation from getting to a certain level. As you are tempted, God has the power to limit it from getting beyond a certain level. But it also means... He has the power to stop temptations altogether. God can do whatever He wants with His world and His creation. He has the power to stop temptations altogether. 
So what does that mean? Well, you've experienced temptation, haven't you? You've been tempted, haven't you? God had the power to stop that, and he didn't. God could have prevented you from being tempted, and he didn't. What does that tell us about God? He has the power to stop temptations altogether, but he doesn't. So this must mean that he allows temptation. He allows us to be tested. And he does not put us in a protective bubble. Remember when Jesus teaching his disciples to pray in Matthew 6. And at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he says, and lead us not into temptation. And that's always been a very interesting phrase for me because you start to think, wait a second, is, is God going to sometimes lead us into temptation and we have to pray for him not to do it? We know from the book of James, God never tempts anyone, right? He does not tempt anyone himself. But we also know from places like Matthew 4, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that he could experience temptation. Matthew 4.1. God wanted that to happen. So God, God could have stopped any of the temptations that you've ever experienced. He could have stopped that altogether. But he didn't. Now, we've got to balance this with an understanding that sometimes we place ourselves in situations where the temptation increases because of something that we did that we shouldn't have done. Some, something that we saw that we should never have seen. We did not turn the channel. We did not close the computer. We did not get out of that company of people, right? There are times where we look at ourselves and this is not like, oh, well, I couldn't do anything about it. God allowed it. No, you could have done something about that, right? But we also have to say in God's power, he will not let the temptation get beyond your ability, which also means he let the temptation come in the first place. And so he wants us to grow stronger, brothers and sisters. He's not putting us in a protective bubble. He wants us to learn and gain wisdom. Think about parenting, right? Some of us have been blessed to be parents in here. Some of us parents are a little too overprotective and some of us parents are a little too lenient. Right? We all fall probably on different sides of that scale. Right? Everybody's different. But some of us who are a little too overprotective will say, with worry, there's so much I can't control. And then we, we try desperately to control it. On the flip side, though, some of us will say with nonchalance, I can't control any of that. So we're not even going to try. Right? We've, got, we've got two ends of the spectrum there. And some of us probably fall more to one side than another, but God, well, he is the perfect father, perfectly balanced between protecting us or letting us learn the hard way. And unlike us, he is in control of all of it. So God will not let it get beyond your ability. He is faithful in that way. Understand that promise. Remember that promise. He will never let the temptation get beyond your ability. And that means you will always have the power within you, God's power within you, to endure. But second, there's a second way it says God is faithful. He will provide a way out. Look at the end of the verse. He will also, it says, provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is always a way out. And so we can never say, well, there was just no getting away from it. I had to give in. We can never say that. 
There is always a way out. God will provide the way out. But notice, it doesn't just say he will provide a way out. It says he will provide a way of escape that or so that you may be able to endure it. He will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. And so, brothers and sisters, this way out does not guarantee you a time to relax or rest. It does not say he will provide a way of escape so the temptation won't be there anymore. He'll provide a way of escape so you won't have to struggle anymore. That's not what it says. It says he'll provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure. So it does not mean that the temptation stops right there. God is giving you strength to endure. God is giving you strength to hold on. And you escape through endurance. Not of your own strength, not of your own willpower, but that from God. You escape through endurance. Think about Jesus fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, and Satan comes up and tempts him to turn a stone into bread so that he could have food. The Scripture says he was hungry after that 40 days of not eating. Perhaps one of the greatest understatements of all time. He's hungry. And that he knows Satan tempts him because he can do this. He's Jesus. He can turn a stone into bread and eat it. And understand this, brothers and sisters. The same spirit that led him in the wilderness to be tempted also gave him the strength to endure the temptation. And when Jesus faced that temptation... He did not rest on his own strength, but he leaned back against the promises of God. And he quotes Scripture to Satan. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's fighting with promises there. You see how he's wielding the sword of the Spirit? He's fighting with the promises of God. Into the battlefield of our hearts, we send the promises of God. We've got to have these in our our arsenal, in our tool belt. Jesus used promises of God against the temptations of Satan. And it gave him the strength to endure. It was a way out, but it wasn't a way out to where it's just gone. It was a way out to endure. So the same spirit that led him into the wilderness is the same spirit giving him the power during the temptation to endure. He had a greater trust in God's word. He knew The principle of Psalm 119, 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I have hidden your word in my heart, God, that I might not sin against you. We hide God's word in our heart. Take 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and hide it in your heart. What are you going to do with this verse after we leave? You're just going to close up the Bible and and go home and never look at it again? You're going to write it down? You're going to memorize it? Are you going to internalize it? Are you going to put it in your tool belt? You need this. It's a weapon. I've hidden your word in my heart, God, David said, so that I might not sin against you. That's the way it works. That's how we wield the sword of the Spirit. There's a, a guy I read. I read some of his books, listen to some of his sermons every now and then. His name's John Piper. And in one of his books, a long time ago, I read a strategy that he has in his own life that he said has been very helpful for fighting lust. But it could be any temptation, not just lust. It could be anything. Right? But it's a strategy that he shared. It's been super helpful for me. I think it could be really helpful for you. Uh, and it's a, There's an easy way to remember it, but this might be something that you want to write down. 
Uh, if you don't write this down, but you want it later, just send me an email or give me a call and I'll just send it to you. But here's his strategy. It's an acronym to help you remember it. It's called Anthem. It's really practical. I think this is going to be really helpful for you. It's why I want to share it to you. Anthem, A-N-T-H-E-M. Each letter of the acronym stands for something else, okay? So we'll start with A in Anthem. The A stands for avoid, and I'll have these on the screen up behind me. Avoid, A, avoid. Avoid whatever is triggering your temptation. Avoid it, get away from it, right? Go to another place, go to another room, get in contact with other people, turn off the computer, uh, get away from the television, you know, watch something else or turn it off all completely. Uh, perhaps you need to, to get rid of the, the cable television subscription. Perhaps you need to get rid of the internet. There's been times in my life where I had to get rid of things like that so that I would not be tempted because I'm weak because I didn't trust myself, right? Sometimes you've got to, like Jesus says, cut off a hand so that you can go to heaven. It's better to go to heaven with one good hand than go to hell with two. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 5. Gouge out an eye if that's what it means. Do whatever it takes, right? Avoid, avoid whatever you can that is tempting you. Avoid the situation, avoid the person, avoid the trigger, avoid the, the media, avoid the website. The N in Anthem, the N stands for no. Say no within five seconds. Don't passively react to temptation, proactively fight it. Say no to the temptation. Decide in your mind, no, I'm not going to do this instead of just passively, passively reacting to it, right? If you passively react to it, it's going to take hold of you. You've got to take hold of it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, or I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, that we take captive our thoughts and we make them obedient to Christ. We've got to take our thoughts captive. We've got to decide to make a decision in our minds. No. Say no within five seconds. T. T stands for turn. Turn your mind forcibly to Christ as the superior satisfaction. Turn your mind. Now, this is sometimes hard for us to think about because we understand what it means to turn our bodies or to turn a vehicle or whatever. How do you turn your mind, right? You've got to actually take a hold of your mind and turn it to Jesus, away from that other thing. Turn it to Christ as the superior satisfaction. The H in anthem stands for hold. Hold Christ firmly in your mind until it pushes the other images out. Hold it firmly in your mind. Perhaps you're thinking about Jesus on the cross. Perhaps you're thinking about, and think about details. Perhaps you're thinking about what Jesus said while he was on the cross. How he must have felt. How the others around him must have felt. Perhaps you're thinking about the way that he asked for forgiveness for those that were killing him. Or the agony that he was in, not just physically, but spiritually, experiencing the wrath of God. Perhaps you're thinking about in the way that he died, the centurion who was right there said, surely this must have been the Son of God. Right? Hold it in your mind. Hold it there. Don't let it go. Hold it in your mind, and eventually it will push the temptation out. E stands for enjoy. Don't just hold it in your mind. Enjoy Christ in the moment as the satisfaction superior to all others. Because He is. Jesus is a satisfaction that is superior to all others. Yes, the pleasures of sin are attractive. That's why temptation is there. It's attractive. 
And no, you're, you're not replacing it with a like pleasure. This is not replacing like for like. This is a different kind of pleasure. It feels different than the pleasures of sin, right? So you're not going to take the desires of your flesh and satisfy them in the same way you would have if you went for that pleasure of sin. But it's a, it's a greater pleasure. It's a more lasting pleasure. It's a pleasure that leaves you feeling clean instead of one that leaves you feeling dirty. Enjoy Christ. Not only do you hold it in your mind, you enjoy it. Find a way to take joy from it because it is a satisfaction that is superior to all others. Drive out the lesser pleasure with a greater one. Right? Replace it. Drive it out with a greater one. You understand, when we're being tempted in our minds, it's not enough to just say, don't think about that, don't think about that, right? It's not enough to just do that. You have to replace it with something, right? For example, this is, this is a good way to illustrate this. Don't think about elephants. What are you doing? You're thinking about elephants. You can't stop. Like, don't think about them. Get, get elephants out of your mind right now. You just can't do it. But here in, here in a little bit, we're going to move on to other stuff, and you won't be thinking about that. Maybe some of you will. You, you won't be thinking about that, though. We're going to move on to other stuff. We're going to fill our minds with other stuff, right? You've heard the um, you know, science riddle. How do you get all of the air out of a glass, an empty glass? How do you get all the air out of an empty glass? Well, you could try a bunch of different stuff, but there's a real easy way to do it. Just pour water in it. Fill it with water. Fill it with something else. It gets that out. Right? So you've got to fill your mind with something to empty it of what you want to empty it from. So enjoy Christ in the moment. And the M is really important in Anthem. The M is very important. Move on to useful, God-glorifying activity away from idleness and other vulnerable behaviors. Sin breeds in idleness. Right? The devil deals on an idle horse. You ever heard that one? Sin breeds itself. Satan loves idleness for temptation, right? Those are vulnerable times for us spiritually. And so when we go through this, we don't just say, oh, I'm glad that that's gone for three seconds until it comes back. No, we move on to something else. Go do something else. Go do something that's useful, God-glorifying activity away from idleness and other vulnerable behaviors. So if you didn't write that down, you want it later, just you know, email me, I'll send it to you. But it's been really helpful for me, Anthem, A-N-T-H-E-M. So, all that to say, God is faithful. God is faithful. But we understand, as Paul starts out this verse, he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. Remember, he's speaking to us as failures. And for those of us who have failed, time and time again, There is Christ. Christ has overcome. Christ has conquered sin, brothers and sisters. Christ has conquered sin. Where we have given in, He resisted. Listen to Hebrews 12, 3-4. It says, Consider Him who endured sinners such hostility against Himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the first part of this is, Consider Christ... Consider what he endured, because that will help you not grow weary. That will help you not grow faint-hearted. But then it goes on to say this. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. None of us have. 
There is only one who has resisted to that point. There is only one who has resisted completely, never gave in, and it killed him to the point of shedding his blood. That was Christ. If we experienced what he experienced, I am sure we would have buckled in a matter of minutes. But he alone never sinned. And then when he got to the cross, the man who had never sinned became sin. And God gave him the full force of his wrath. And he took it. And then he died. We have not resisted temptation to the point of shedding our blood, but he did. Where we have given in, he resisted. Where we were weak, he was strong. Where we have been disobedient, he was obedient. Where we have failed, he succeeded. And when he suffered God's wrath and died on the cross, he put a nail in the coffin of sin. He conquered sin, brothers and sisters. And to those of us who have messed up a bunch, that truth is worth more than all of the gold in the universe, all of the pleasure in the universe, all of the prestige, all of the comforts of the world. That truth is worth more than it all. To those of us who know our sinfulness and know how much we've messed up, He has conquered sin. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. You don't have to overcome it. He did. You'll have trouble in this world, but take heart. He has overcome the world. When he died on that cross, he put a nail in the coffin of sin. He stripped sin of its power. That's what the cross did. It stripped sin of its power. Because now, through the gospel, even though I am guilty of sin, Satan has no way to accuse me and for it to stick. Because my sin's been taken care of in Jesus. Sin doesn't have any power anymore over me. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan can bring all the accusations he wants against those of us who are in Christ. And they don't stick because Jesus suffered for my sins. Jesus already took care of it. I don't have to be punished for my sins because Jesus was punished for them. But it's not only, brothers and sisters... It's not only that the cross stripped sin of its power. When Jesus died, it gave us a new power. It stripped sin of its power, but it gave us a new power. When you come to Christ and you're baptized into those waters, the Bible says you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God living in you. You can't win this fight without that. You're going to lose. But the Holy Spirit living inside of you, John says in 1 John, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you than the one who is trying to tempt you. I'm not stronger than Satan. I'm not smarter than Satan, but the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit's inside of us if we are in Christ, if we have come to Christ today. It gave us a new power, the power to endure temptation and the power to put sin to death. Romans 8.13 tells us, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to your flesh, you will die. Not just physically, eternally. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death 
the deeds of the body, you will live. It's war. Make war on your sin. You have to. If you want to follow Christ, you signed up to make war on your sin, to fight a battle. You don't have to be drafted in. You signed up for it when you became a Christian. You have to put to death the deeds of the body, but you have to do it by the Spirit. It's not by yourself. It's by the Spirit. And if you put to death the deeds of your flesh by the Spirit, you will live. It's a promise from God. And so when Jesus died, he put the nail in the coffin of sin, stripping it of its power and giving us a new one against it. Into the battlefield of our troubled hearts, we send the promises of God. And brothers and sisters, I'll leave you with this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, we read this. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, in Jesus. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. All of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. The reason we know God never breaks a promise is because He has fulfilled them all to us in Christ. In Jesus Christ. Jesus is the key to wielding the sword, the promise, in 1 Corinthians 10.13. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the reason that promise is fulfilled. Jesus is the reason we can have that. Jesus is the only reason we can fight and resist and endure because through Jesus we have the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus' Spirit inside of us. It's only because of Jesus that we can become Christians, have our sins washed away, and have the Holy Spirit to come dwell inside of us. Otherwise, He will not come in. He cannot come in. The Holy Spirit does not dwell with those who are enemies of God. The Holy Spirit does not dwell inside of those who have not had their sins taken care of because our sins separate us from God. But because of Christ... We can have that. Jesus is the key. Jesus is why every promise of God is yes. It's a yes in Him. So that's where I'm going to leave. We're going to take a few moments now in silence and prayer. And we're asking every single person in here to go to God and to respond to whatever He just laid on your heart. Because it's probably different for a lot of us in here. It's probably different for every single one of us. It's unique. What did God just lay on your heart? You go deal with Him in silent prayer here in the next few moments. Respond to Him privately. After we have a few moments of silent prayer where each one of us can go and reckon with God and what He said to us just now, then we'll come back and we'll have a time of public response for anyone who needs to respond in that way.